Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more information at DesertCityChurch.com. Want to come grab a seat? We're going to get started. You can open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6, where we'll be reading today, starting in verses 17 through 19. As we approach this holiday season, Uh, There's two words that I want us uh, to live by. There's two words that I want us uh, to prioritize around and focus in on as we head towards a time of thanksgiving, a time of giving, a time of sharing uh, the gifts and everything that it means with this season. And uh, I want to start today with 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. We'll start in verse 17. Paul is writing... Uh, to uh, one, of his, one of his students, Timothy, who's leading a church, and he says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Love that phrase, life that is truly life. So Paul says, have them do two things. One, to do good. To do, to do good. And two, he says, to be rich in good deeds. We thought about calling the series, How to Be Rich. So we thought, that's what we all want, right? Uh, To be rich. But such an interesting phrasing, to do good and to be rich. He says, don't be arrogant with your wealth. And he says, don't put your hope in it because it's uncertain. But do good and to be rich in good deeds. To be rich. good deeds. Do and be. Be and do is what we're going to talk about for the next uh, two weeks. What does it mean uh, to do good? What does it mean to be rich in good deeds? Uh, Back when I was a student ministry pastor, um, I was reminded of this story this week, by the way. We had a group of students out at Nello's Pizza. Nello's is an amazing pizza uh, place in Scottsdale, which unfortunately no longer exists, so I can't recommend it. But Um, We were there with a group of about 12 students, and it was a pretty rowdy bunch. Um, Some of those students are here today, and uh, one of them is our student pastor, Tyler. Um, And we were in Nello's, which is kind of a classy pizza joint, maybe, for us. (laughs) It wasn't Peter Piper is what I'm trying to say. Um, And we were loud. It was was kind of an obnoxious group. And there were a number of, like, couples that were there on a date. And so, like, I was so sensitive. I was like, oh, my goodness. We're probably, like, driving these people crazy. We're probably really annoying. We're that loud group that you never want to run into when you're on a date. And uh, get to the end of the night, and uh, we go to pay. 
And you know like how it is with like high school students. The bill never quite adds up, right? You know, so like if you're like the grown-up, you're covering the meal, basically. And because uh, like they don't know how to like add in taxes and all that kind of stuff. So like we just are kind of expecting, you know, we're gonna pick up a lot of the extra tab tonight. And then when we, we asked for the check, the, the, the person serving us came out and said, well, actually your meal is taken care of. Somebody paid for the whole thing. And I, I'm sitting there thinking like, we have like 12 hungry, I mean, Tyler's here, like hungry, <laughs> <laughs> hungry guys. And, and this wasn't a, a cheap bill. She said, no, someone, they, they just, they, out of their generosity, wanted to, to help and they covered it. And I remember that night thinking like, wow, I, here I thought, I thought we were annoying them. Maybe we were annoying them. And their response was to be generous towards us. Like generosity has a very compelling power to it. I remember thinking of that night, like the first thing I wanted to do is, is give thanks. Like whoever did it, like I just wanted to thank them because that was such a big deal uh, for us. The second thing was it, it caused me to want to do something similar. Like there's this, something about generosity is very contagious. And, it, 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 and when, it, when you've received something out of the goodness of someone else's heart, you can't help but want to kind of pay it forward, to pass it on. Generosity has something very compelling about it. And as Paul's talking to Timothy here, he's talking about this uh, subject of generosity. And so today I want to talk about generosity. And if you're new today, sorry, we're talking about generosity. Um, last week we talked about politics, so it's getting better each week, I think. <laughs> I, I joke, if you can survive these two weeks, you'll be good at Desert City. Um, but generosity, to, to do good with our lives and to be rich in good deeds. When you think of what it, how people would describe Christianity, um, especially in our culture, uh, so many negative terms are thrown around about Christians. Judgmental, um, they're standoffish, hypocrites. A lot of negative kind of connotations, right, when it comes to the church and Christianity. Some of it probably rightfully so. Um, but what if the defining characteristic of God's people was that we were generous, that generosity. When people thought of Christians in this culture in our country, they thought, wow, those are the most loving, generous people. I want to know them. There's something so compelling about how they live their life. We know that if there's Christians in this neighborhood, it's good news, because they're going to just pour their life out to the community. What if Christianity and generosity went hand in hand? People thought of the church, they thought of and generous people. So I want to talk about generosity, why we should give generously, and how we should give are the two questions I want to wrestle with today. Why we should give, why is it that we should be generous? The first reason I want to talk about it is because of God. God is generous. This God who created this world, who is uh, omnipotent, this God who is in the heavens, is so generous that he meets us on a personal level, and he loves us. When uh, considering and being reminded of this story that we're a part of, of, of God's love for the world, uh, the church has created different acts that are symbolic as reminders. And one of the acts uh, that is, is created is this act of communion. And communion um, is an act of, of thanksgiving. 
In Corinthians, as, as Paul's writing about this act of communion that is a reminder of God's uh, generosity, he says, For I have received what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is something that we do each week in remembrance of God. This communion, which is the bread and the wine, represents the gift of God. And Paul says, when we do this, we give thanks. This phrase, give thanks, if we want to kind of break down, it's, uh, it comes from the Greek term, eucharisteo, eucharisteo. And it's a compound word, you, which means good in the Greek. And the word charis, which means gift or grace or blessing. And so literally, it's thanking God for this good gift. The act of the cross was God's generosity. We know that probably the most famous Bible verse that's always like up at football games when they're kicking a field goal, right? John 3, 16. says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The cross was an act of generosity. And this uh, Eucharisteo, this, this is where we get the word Eucharist. We're giving thanks for a good gift. God is generous. God is generous. Again, there's this kind of myth that in our culture, when we think of God, we think of a God who is judgmental, a God who uh, is distant, a God who allows suffering. But when you read through the scripture, these people who are interacting with this relational God and they're writing about this response of what it means to be in relationship with him again and again, we get this picture that God is a giver. He's generous. He's loving. He pours himself out. And this act of communion, this Eucharist, is essentially the Christian story. God loved the world so much that he breaks himself open and he pours himself out to give life to others. God is generous. And when we take the communion, we do this in remembrance of God, this act of him sacrificing, breaking himself open, pouring himself out so that we may have life. Why do we give? Because this God that we worship and follow is a generous God. And that should shape us as his people. Second reason that we give is because of others. Others. Why do we give? Because of others. It's not hard to look around at our world and see brokenness. It's not hard to look around at our world and see all the things that are wrong. They're usually all over the news, right? It's not hard to be uh, aware globally of poverty in the developing world. It's not hard to look in our own neighborhoods and see brokenness. We give of ourselves not only because God is generous, but as his people, when we consider others around us, we're joining God in his work, being generous to others. We said John 3.16 already, but 1 John 3.16 is another verse that I think is extremely powerful. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but in actions and in truth. When we give, the, 
the language of this, when we see others in need and we don't have pity, we don't have, another word for that is compassion. When we see needs and it doesn't do something inside of us that says we should respond. We can't meet the needs of others. In this passage it says, how can the love of God be in you? We give because it reveals something about our heart, something about our heart uh, that is formed into the image of God. We give to others because the love of God is inside of us. The third reason that we, why we give is for ourselves. This is like one of the few times you could be selfish, but there is something that happens inside of you when you're generous. There's something that happens uh, when you're willing uh, to give of yourself. Um, I've talked about this before, but the rabbis uh, would look at the Dead Sea and they would, they would kind of make this, use this metaphor about giving. When they look at the Dead Sea, they would say, the Dead Sea is dead because streams of water pour into it, but nothing ever pours out of it. And so all of this water builds up and there's this mineral that builds up and you can, it, the water's so dense you could actually float in it. Nothing can live in the Dead Sea. And they say, this is the same thing with our soul. When we take things in, but we're not willing to allow things to go out of us to other people, uh, something inside of our soul dies. And so generosity is actually an act that allows us uh, to release the things that are good things, but if used incorrectly, can corrupt our soul. So we give because life flows through us. Uh, when the first covenant between God and man was established, between God and Abraham, I should say, was established, God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. But from that, you are going to bless all other people. You're blessed to be a blessing. The blessing was never meant just simply for Abraham, but it was to be used by Abraham for other people. When we give, something inside of us happens. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. But when we give, it, it, it allows us to release things that can easily become corruptible in our lives. William Barclay, in his commentary on this passage about Paul, says, The teaching of the Christian ethic is not that wealth is a sin, but that it is a very great responsibility. If a man's wealth ministers to nothing but his own pride and enriches no one but himself, it becomes his ruination because it impoverishes his soul. But if he uses it to bring help and comfort to others in becoming poorer, he really becomes richer. In time and in eternity, it is more blessed to give than receive. I think those words are powerful. Those are words that I uh, repeat often as I think about that. If a man's wealth only ministers to enriching himself, uh, it impoverishes his soul. But it's in when we, when we become poor, when we give, that we truly become richer. And I think this is one of those countercultural acts of the kingdom of God. Being rich, being wealthy, comes from pouring ourselves out to others. And it's, it's so odd because you're, you're losing something, but you're gaining something else. You're pouring something out, but at the same time, something else is being poured into you, and your heart grows, and your world grows. It enlarges uh, 
It enlarges your life and relationships. So we give because uh, giving actually saves us from ourselves. There's something inside of giving uh, that protects us from things that can corrupt us. And it joins us in this bigger story. It forms us to be more like God, who is generous. So why do we give? Because of God and others and self. These are things that are formational for us as followers of Jesus. And how we should give, how we should give is also something to consider. When we were uh, kind of talking through, um, I, was, I was planning this with Tyler because he's going to preach next week. And I'm kind of like laying a theological framework and then he's got to you know, do the hard stuff next week. But uh, just kidding. Um, but when we were thinking of how we, were get, uh, how we give, they all ended up starting with the letter R, which is like, you know, a very pastoral thing to do. Um, but we give relationally. We give relationally. We give out of living in community with each other, hearing of each other's needs. Uh, there's a, a beautiful picture of giving relationally in the book of Acts when the, when the church is just kind of starting and forming. And it's, it's almost like this window into like what the church can be. And sometimes we kind of prop up this window and say, this is how it always should be. But, you know, we forget this early church. They think Jesus is coming back like within like really soon. Right. And so they're living kind of these lives that are 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 very urgent. But there's also something in there for us. I think that's important. In Acts 2, 43 through 45, it talks about the early church and this picture of community. It says everyone was filled with awe and wonder. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. And then in Acts 4.32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had, and with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. And there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and bought churches for Desert City. And just kidding, no. <laughs> and they brought the money for the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as they had need. Distributed to anyone as they had need. Now, like, we live in a culture, we live in the American culture, and we would know that there's, this is a great picture of generosity. We know there's probably a lot of unintended con consequences that come uh, from this kind of living. Um, but this kind of living is possible in the context of loving and authentic community. And the more a church gets to know each other, the more a church gets to hear each other's needs and share with each other, we're able to respond relationally to give. That's not always like a money thing. I mean, that could be all sorts of different things, the way that we share life together. This is why community groups are so important. This is why community groups are so hard uh, to form is because we're all from these different experiences. We're all from these different places in life. And, and we want to learn, how do we do community together really well? How do we share life together? How do we do it responsibly? There's a, an old story about C.S. Lewis, who I know I quote like every week. Uh, the guy shaped my theology very much. So, uh, But he was in this group uh, uh, when he was teaching at university in England. And uh, the group was called the Inklings. There's a bunch of these famous authors that came out of it. J.R. Tolkien was part of this group, the guy that wrote the Lord of the Rings novels. And the story goes that uh, they were, uh, C.S. Lewis was walking with uh, Tolkien. They were, they were at this bus station. And... Uh, 
as they were getting ready to, to hop on the bus, there was this homeless man that was on the street that came up to him, uh, begging, basically. Tolkien kind of looked at the man, looked at C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis looked at the man, decided to pull out his billfold and give him a few pounds, or whatever they use for money in England, um, and, and gave him the money and, and said, God bless you, be on your way. And, you know, Tolkien's very philosophical and looked at C.S. Lewis and said, I, I can't believe you'd do that. Like, you know this guy, he's probably just going to take the money and, you know, go buy alcohol with it. And C.S. Lewis looked at Tolkien, and in a way that uh, is witty the way that only the British could be witty, he kind of looked at him and said, yeah, I considered that. And then I thought about the money, and I thought, I'll probably just use it to go get alcohol anyway. So <laughs> I might as well leave it there. And, and we, we know that like, sometimes when we're giving, like, what we want to know is like, we're giving to something that's not going to just be wasted. Right? There's accountability that comes with giving. Um, and then there's also this just response of giving compassionately to people. But when we're giving relationally, a few things that, that we get to see um, is that we, we get to share life together, we get to do community together, which means there's follow-up. Like we, we might know we have friends that are, that are hurting, that are needy, and we can give to them, but we can also be involved in their life to help. And, and all of us have gone through ups and downs. We give relationally in a way that allows us to respond compassionately and then walk alongside people uh, who are hurting. And I think churches are healthy when they do this really well. And they do this with integrity and they do this with uh, wisdom. Uh, this is, so giving, we should give relationally. We should give relationally. The second R is we should give rhythmically. We should give rhythmically. And one of the, the spiritual practices that uh, has, has kind of carried the church throughout history is this idea of tithes and offerings. And it's something that like, I never want to talk about as a pastor, because um, I'm always like, people are going to take off running if I talk about this. Uh, but, it, but it's something that is this uh, grounded um, <laughs> spiritual practice for followers of Jesus. They, there's this rhythm that they place into their life where they say, we're going to give God, uh, first and foremost, we're going to prioritize our finances around God. And so tithes and offerings are this, this practice that Christians do. And for, for, for many, the, the tithe is, is, a, is a percentage um, that is a 10%. I remember our sister church is McDowell Mountain Community Church. There's, there's a man there who's now like kind of the held of, head of the eldership. He's this uh, wealthy businessman. He was a total pagan when he, when he got to McDowell. And when he found out they tithed, I just remember him saying, 10%? 10%? He just kept repeating, 10%? No way, 10%. And, uh, and now that he's been there for, for 30 years, the church probably wouldn't exist without his generosity and giving rhythmically week after week, month after month. Um, there's something about this that forms us spiritually in a way that, that uh, reminds us that uh, God is in control of, of all of our finances anyway. There's over 20 passages in Scripture that talk about this idea of tithing. With that being said, there's also four passages of Scripture that talk about the abuse of tithing and how tithing can become something that is legalistic. And so it's something that, that people do. It's an invitation. Um, but it's never like should be something that just completely uh, burdens you or manipulates you uh, to give. The idea of tithing actually comes back again to Abraham. There's this story um, uh, back in, in, in Genesis where um, he's, he's kind of at war with these neighboring kings. 
And as he's at war, a bunch of his family gets kidnapped, and he's crying out to God for deliverance, and he's trying to do something about it. And, and he goes to war, and he ends up having this great victory, and his family and his possessions are returned to him. And as he's kind of considering everything that's happened, there's a strange figure that shows up named uh, Melchizedek. And it doesn't really tell us a lot about this figure, Melchizedek, but it says that he's this priest of the God Most High. And as he comes to meet with Abraham, and they start to talk about what had just happened, this great victory, he brings bread and wine, which some would say, like, this is his first act of communion, this reminder, this Eucharist of God providing for Abraham. And then it says that Abraham gives him a tenth of everything that's returned to him. So this kind of first time we see this practice of, of giving back to God for him giving to us. And time and time again, we see this kind of discipline uh, within followers of Jesus. And, and what we find is this Melchizedek, he appears again in the New Testament, and they talk about how um, there's this parallel with him and Christ, that Christ is this high priest, and that we prioritize by giving, giving back to God. And it's something that is... Uh, uh, extremely sensitive, I know. But this is a, a discipline Christians have done. And, uh, and, our, and our hope is, is that uh, this 10% that you would give to God would be a discipline in your life. And I mean, our hope is we're trying to build something here as a church. We'd love for you to give it here. Um, but, but if not, uh, find something that you believe in, um, that you know that you're prioritizing around giving to God. And you're prioritizing this part of your budget where you say, God is first. There's a spiritual discipline of giving because you know it opens up something in your heart. Um, one of the, the, the cool things about kind of uh, what we're doing here at Desert City is we're two years into this church plant and we've been growing and, uh, and that's exciting and we've been expanding and we've been making calculated risks to grow our staff um, so that we could better minister to this community. And so this summer, we actually um, brought on two staff members, and we raised some money this summer to do that, and then we had a deficit in our budget, and as we've been growing, that deficit's been closing, and we've had this money in our savings account, which has been great. Um, and one of the unique things about a church plant is that we're, right now, we're sufficient from within the congregation, and we're able to do that because of your generosity. Um, and as you can see, more babies are coming too. So we're, <laughs> um, we're, we're able to do that because of your generosity, and we're so thankful for that. Um, and as we, as we kind of consider our future for a church plant to be self-sufficient within uh, the first two years is amazing. And so uh, we're, we're proud of that. We're, we're grateful for your generosity. Um, and then we also uh, know that as, to, to get where we want to go, to continue to grow, to reach more people, um, we, we invite you uh, to give. Um, and uh, if it's your first time today, uh, please don't like, oh, great, geez, talking about giving. Um, but, uh, but a few of the things that we're, we're excited about as, as we go, uh, part of our financial accountability is with our state organization. And as we become uh, self-sufficient, um, they've asked us to establish our, our first board from within the church. And so starting in January, um, we're starting to identify the leaders that will be part of that first uh, board. And that's another good mark for a church to get there in two years is extremely healthy. And again, that's because of your generosity. We're so grateful for that. Um, the other thing is we have, we have great kind of vision of where we want to go uh, with impact on this community and globally. And so one of the things uh, we're, we're participating in a couple different organizations here in town, 
Um, but in January, we're gonna be rolling out kind of our first global initiative, and we're very excited about that too. Um, and so we have some, some big things that we feel like God has laid on our hearts, and that takes place because uh, so much of what you do out of the generosity of your heart, and we're so grateful for that. So there's this relational giving of us doing life together, and then there's this rhythmic giving that I would encourage you um, to give to. Um, and don't, don't hear that as like an, a guilt trip or an appeal that you have to do this or, you know, God's going to smite you or something. I mean, that's between you and God. But, I'm not gonna... <laughs> um, but the third way is, is, is to give radically, is to give radically in, in ways uh, that have a huge influence on others. And returning to, to England, there's this man named George Mueller uh, who was who living in Bristol, England. And he was living in a time uh, of, of, of famine, a time of great sickness, and there were a lot of orphans um, in Bristol. And uh, the orphans were, were taken care of in, in places that were really tough living conditions. And, and George Miller was a churchman. He was a man of the church. And one of the problems and needs he saw in his city uh, was a need for like, healthy, clean, positive environments for orphans. And George Miller just started praying. He said, I don't know how we're going to do this and how God's going to provide, but we need better orphanages. And he gave his life to, the, to this building of orphanages in Bristol, England. And at the end of his life, uh, he had established four orphanages that could house 2,000 children per year. And, it, and, and throughout his life, as he had built these orphanages, um, he had raised over $8 million in the process inviting people to give generously. And uh, historians tell us that when he died, he had $800 in his pocket. He lived a life where he just decided to find a cause and to pour into it and to give of himself. And now there's all these ministries that are still in existence in Bristol, England today because of the generosity of George Mueller. So we give relationally, we give rhythmically, but then we give radically. Our God is generous, and he invites us to live a life where we, we pour ourselves out to a calling that is bigger than yourself. I don't know what that is in your life, but as we head towards the holiday season, as we head towards the time of Thanksgiving where we give thanks for what God has done, as we head towards Christmas, a time of giving, what if we saw our lives as a gift to others? What if we saw our occupation our calling, our family, as a way to pour ourselves out to other people. I have no idea what that looks like for you. Paul tells us to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, willing to distribute to others. Second Corinthians 9, 6. I want to end with this, and the band will come up. This idea of being, being rich in good deeds Again, the Apostle Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And each man should give what he has decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace uh, abound to you, so that in all things and at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As the band comes up, we want to close today with the Eucharist. We want to close today with communion, this act of us giving thanks 
for a gift that's been given to us, the gift of salvation and eternal life. But when we do that, we're reminded that we're also this living Eucharist. That as God's people, we break ourselves open and we pour ourselves out to bring life to others. That plays out in so many different ways, relationally, rhythmically, radically. But for this holiday season, we invite you to do good and to be rich in good deeds. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. And we love because you first loved us. Lord, and if we consider uh, giving, Lord, oftentimes it's, it's difficult because uh, we're stressed out. Lord, we, uh, the issue of our own finances is always on our mind. The issue of our own time is something that we want to protect. And so, Lord, as we consider doing good and being generous, Lord, we ask for wisdom. We ask for opportunities. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to the needs of those around us. Lord, that as we head towards this holiday season, we would have a heightened sense of awareness of others. And Lord, that you would use us as a gift to the world. And so, Lord, uh, we come before you now, and we partake in this act of you giving to us. And we're reminded of your love and your generosity. And Lord, our hope is that as your people, as your church, that this generosity would spill uh, out of this room to our community. That it would be contagious, Lord. That we would give uh, because we're, our hearts are formed into your image. Lord, that when people uh, consider who we are at Desert City, they would think that's a generous community. That's good news here. So Lord, open us up, give us courage, and give us power. And Lord, we just ask that you would um, be with us. Lord, we, we want your presence. Lord, we don't want to just go through motions that are ritualistic or religious. We want you. So inspire us today, Lord. We give you this time, and we give you our hearts. In your son's name we pray. Amen.